Hey, it's Marisa, and you're listening to Heard That with Marisa Tigney Podcast. The Heard That with Marisa Tigney Podcast is sponsored in part by Holy Grail Clothing Company, an American lifestyle brand presented by the Regal Brand Incorporated. Discover high-quality handcrafted essentials from their collections for men, women, and children. Podcast subscribers can take 15% off their entire purchase with discount code HEARDTHAT15. That's H-E-A-R-D-T-H-A-T-1-5 when they shop the virtual retail store at HolyGrailClothingCompany.com. That's HolyGrailClothingCO.com. Holy Grail Clothing Company, wear your crown. I absolutely love doing volunteer service. I have met the most amazing people and some extraordinary kids as well. The cool thing that kids will always ask for when I am volunteering is books, if we have books available for them to take home because their passion and love for reading. There's an amazing author out there by the name of Trevor Romaine who has such cool books for kids that are fun and awesome with simple stories that kids can relate to and parents as well. The Trevor Romaine Company has a diverse collection of social and emotional learning resources to help children and their families become healthier, happier, and more confident. All heard that, listeners. If you go on trevorromaine.com today, you get an exclusive 15% off your complete order by using the code HEARDTHAT, H-E-A-R-D-T-H-A-T-1-5, at trevorromaine.com. Trevor Romaine, no E at the end of Romaine. Dot com today. What's up, Heard That Nation listening in the United States and around the world? This is the Heard That Podcast with Marisa Tigney. I am your host, Marisa, and I'm having a fan out moment right now because this guest that I have today, I'm beyond excited to talk to him about his amazing books that he has. So I got to do this introduction right because I'm just beyond excited. Trevor Romaine is this wonderful guest that I'm going to have on today. He is a best-selling author, award-winning illustrator, and a sought-after motivational speaker. His books have sold more than a million copies worldwide and have been published in 22 different languages. Connecting with kids in a disconnected world, which is my favorite, and we will talk about that, and go read are his latest books. Known for his enthusiastic personality and relatable persona, Trevor has spoken to over a million children and their families in addition to giving talks at the USO National Gala, UNICEF, the UNICEF, Make-A-Wish Foundation, National Child Traumatic Stress Network Conference, the Office of the Secretary of Defense, National Family Readiness Conference, and many more. The Washington Post says Trevor's rapport with kids is stunning to watch. Trevor has also been featured on Entertainment Weekly and the Los Angeles Times. He is also the co-founder of a 501c3 nonprofit, The Comfort Crew for Military Kids, which delivers resiliency resources to military families going through deployment. He is an author. He is an illustrator. He has a podcast. And what sold me on listening to his podcast is that he is a tea drinker. (laughs) So welcome, Trevor, to the Heard That with Marisa Tigney podcast. Oh, Marissa, thank you so much. I sound like an interesting guy. Yeah, I am. Um, you're with you're that an interesting guy. <laughs> I cannot wait to hear what I'm going to say. See, I, I had to be ready because the sound of when you, if anybody's ever listened to your podcast, and I hope people do, like I said, the tea 
the clinking of the spoon next to the tea glass, the tea cup, the teacup. I immediately became interested. I'm like, okay, this episode's going to be good. So I have my tea nearby me. I'm drinking a vanilla chamomile today. Ooh, that mm-hmm. sounds good. But you know, tea, very interesting for me. Why, in fact, for many years on my business card, I was author, illustrator, speaker, tea drinker. Mm-hmm. So that's the tea drinking has been an important comfort tea for me because when, yeah. when I was a kid, if you fell off your bicycle, first thing your mom did was here, have a cup of tea. You know, you'd put milk and sugar in it. It, mm-hmm. it was just normally, you know, your normal, you know, tea. And you would talk about it. And if somebody in the family had passed away, everybody gets together, you have a cup of tea and you talk about it. So before I do anything that I'm maybe stressed about or something that I might be anxious about, not got to have a cup of tea first and then get on with the business. Okay, I got to know because I'm an avid tea drinker too. What's your favorite tea? You know, I really like straightforward English breakfast tea Mm. with a little bit of milk and honey. And that's my tea. I do like some of the berry teas though. Those, you know, blackberry, raspberry, those kind of herbal teas or herbal teas (laughs) pronounced in other countries. Yeah. Oh, I got to check out the berries too. I, I just tried for the first time. Bigelow makes a raspberry tea. I tried that. That mm. was pretty good. And I put a little milk in it, kind of make it like a berries and cream kind of deal. Yeah, that was really good. So yeah, English breakfast. I just ran out and I'm so glad that you mentioned that because that's on my grocery list to go pick up today. To pick up. To pick up. That's such a comforting tea for me as well. Have you been to Japan? I have not. My dad has but I have not. They have something really incredible there. And, and I did that a number of times. They have a tea ceremony where, you know, you'll go into this place and you will sit on the floor mm. and the process of making the tea is almost like a, a meditation, a gathering of people, gratitude, being in the moment, yeah. you know, and it's a little cup of tea, tiny little cup of tea. And it's, sometimes it's white tea, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's something that if you that's do get to go, that's fantastic. a very special right. little ceremony. That's great. Oh, that is beautiful to know. I just, like I said, I am beyond thrilled to talk about these fantastic books that I just think they're masterpieces if you don't mind me saying. I'm kind of envious that these were not out when I was a kid because growing up as a child in the 70s and in the family structure that I had, which was a loving structure, I did. I did have a lot of, you know, surrounded by great people, my mother, my grandmother, but the island side of them, you know, the West Indies, the Jamaican, the Barbados side, if things happened, if there was troubles that were going on or problems that you wanted to discuss, it was more that you kept it on the inside instead of freely talking about it. And these books and going through some of them that I did read, I I was just like, wow, you know, now it's 2020 and so much is going on more so than ever in the past few years where what I like that you have written in these books is that you're giving the child permission to, you know, it's okay that you're not okay, or it's okay to ask a question, or it's okay to, you know, speak up if, you know, you are concerned about something, you know, I I love the title in one of your books, how to do homework without throwing up. And you and I have talked about, you know, as kids, we had anxieties about, homework and the stresses of it and everything else. So I want the listeners to know a a little bit about you. So tell everyone, you know, where you're from, your backstory. And then also I want to know how you fell in love with illustrating and writing. Great questions. I just wanted to say quickly before I go into the background that uh, one of the things that I've tried to do in my books all along is to listen to what kids are asking for instead of telling them 
what we think they need to hear. Mm -hmm. And so often what a child really needs is validation of what they're feeling. Because what do we say to kids all the time? Oh, don't worry. It's going to be okay. Don't worry. It's okay. It's okay. I got you. We've got this. That doesn't solve the problem in the child's head. What yeah. it does is make you feel like, oh, I told the kid it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be okay. What it really does is leave a child lonely and unsupported because we've just brushed aside something that may seem trivial to us, but mm -hmm. can be very meaningful to a child. So that's the whole thinking behind my series of books is to listen to what they're asking for and answer them in their own language. Yeah. And that is illustrating and doing it with a sense of humor. So I grew up in South Africa. I had a very interesting upbringing because South Africa, white South Africans at that time were in a bubble. It was unbelievable how the media and propaganda kept white people apart, not only by law, by spreading disinformation. I mean, they did it way before it happening around here, yeah. but that kind of thing. So I lived in a bubble, except my grandfather was a farmer. He had a foreman who ran the farm, who was a black guy, mm -hmm. and he had a little boy. And I was seven and this little boy was seven. And my goodness, we would play all day long. And then you would go off to the hut that he lived in, and I would go off to the farmhouse, oblivious, didn't understand. We were just friends. And that really was great for me in terms of understanding that this is my buddy. I didn't matter what color he was or mm -hmm. whatever. Obviously, later on in life, went through the guilt of thinking, oh, my goodness, I went back to the farmhouse. He went back to the hut. And I dealt with a lot of that in a book I wrote called The Other Side of the Invisible Fence, which there is an invisible fence or there was in South Africa that was keeping people apart. And as I grew up as a young boy, we had a housekeeper in South Africa, like most families in Africa do. And she spoke to me in Swana, her language, and she was my black mom. And so I was exposed to a lot of the other side of the cultures in South Africa. And mm -hmm. that was one of the reasons I left, come to the United States, was that I thought I would have a stronger voice from here, yeah, as opposed to standing up there and almost, it's almost like popping your head up in a gunfight. Mm -hmm. You know, you are going to be taken down. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't get anything published there, especially children's stuff, because I wanted to tackle very difficult subjects mm -hmm. like grief, like apartheid, like uh, divorce. Mm -hmm. And everybody's like, no, 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 we don't speak about that. We, that's the kind of stuff, you know, that just gets pushed aside. So yeah. That's how it all started for me. And uh, I realized that I'm a 14-year-old trapped in an old dude's body. <laughs> and if I can connect with kids on that level, yeah. then I can use my experiences of being in, <laughs> being in this body and what I've been through, but still have that enthusiasm and silliness of a kid. And that's how I moved through first in advertising mm -hmm. and then into book writing, which I've been doing professionally now for 30 years. So it's been an incredible journey. And I would do that same journey again. That's, um, that's it, awesome. It, it, yeah. I like what you said, you know, just the connection, because reading some of this, you know, like I said, I'm going to go back to the book that I absolutely love uh, connecting with kids in a disconnected world, but the literature taking the duh out of divorce and how to do homework without throwing up and bullies are pain in the brain. And stress can really get on my nerves. I read through those and that was the one solid thing that I found was common was connectivity. Through all of what kids go through, the different things that you just, just talked about, divorce, grief, sadness, trauma, happiness, 
things that sometimes in, like I said, I mean, we, I didn't speak about those things because I didn't know if I had permission to, I was afraid to, I didn't know if I had that avenue to, and if I did, I didn't know how to even address the situation or the feelings that I was going through. And so I'm just so grateful for these. And I hopefully people that have not heard of you and your great masterpieces of these that they will by the end of this podcast. But take me back to a young Trevor when he was in school that inspired you to write the book, How to Do Homework Without Throwing Up. Okay, and, and I can see it clearly. Now, get this, I'm dyslexic and I have struggled with ADD my whole life. Mm. So I was a pain in the bleep <laughs> at school. I feel bad for my teachers because I probably drove them mad. Same. So, so I was just a very restless little boy mm. who was bored out of his skull. I thought I was not very smart. Here's why. I was very bad at tests. Mm. And one day we had an IQ test at school and I didn't want to fail being in third grade or something. So I copied the guy next to me's test, but he was not as smart as I was. Oh, wow. So they thought my IQ was a lot lower than it was. So they put me in sort of some remedial classes. Eventually, you know, as we did the test again, and I realized as I got older, it was, it was not about passing or failing. Mm -hmm. But as I went through school, not thinking that I was very smart, I put myself in a position where I thought I was going to fail anyway. So I didn't apply myself. Mm -hmm. And memorization for somebody who struggles with those learning differences that I had was the hardest thing, like remembering history. So this is where the whole children's book and that sense of humor comes into play. Mm -hmm. To get through school, I started drawing little pictures in the margins of the work that I had to remember. If I had to remember oh, wow. when Vasco da Gama sailed, you know, and discovered new countries, I would draw a little sail ship and I'd write his name underneath it and I'd draw a globe. Then when we went to the exam, I would flip through my mental Rolodex. Mm -hmm. Now, a Rolodex is something, no, I flipped through the, I just want to explain to the, to the younger people. don't people. know. What is a Rolodex? So, Mom, what is a VCR? It's like, Betamax. What do you mean? Yeah. So I would flip through the visuals in my mind, which I could remember and still to this day. Mm -hmm. I can remember those visuals that I drew because those imprinted in my brain and I thought that way. So as I got through school and uh, got through the years, I was one day trying to explain to a friend of mine's kid, I can't even remember what it was, but I just did a few drawings mm -hmm. to explain it and they got it. And then <clears throat> it was suggested, why don't you, you know, do that kind of stuff in a, in a book? Mm -hmm. And so I wrote how to do homework without throwing up because I thought that was the hardest thing for me at school. And I could not get it published, could not get it published for many, many, many years. I had, for all the books I tried to publish, probably 400 rejections before the first book ever got published. Wow, and really? Yeah, when it resonated with kids, because I was just being honest. Mm -hmm. I was tackling the subject head on and not trying to use a metaphor for something. Homework does make you want to throw up. Mm -hmm. It can spoil a very good afternoon for any yeah. kid. And so I always say to kids, get to the homework before it gets to you. Mm -hmm. You are the boss. You're in charge. So set up a little schedule, get the hardest homework done first, because then the rest becomes easier to do, or the homework that bugs you the most. You don't have to do it all at the same time. Do it for 15 minutes. Take a few minutes break. Do it for 15. And so I used uh, very simple ways and then used a lot of humor, like dogs do not eat homework, especially science projects. And that was a great illustration to go with that. <laughs> that was, that was 
That so, was yeah. fantastic, yeah. Yeah, so don't go to school and say the dog ate your homework because the teachers heard that one before. So that's how I tackled those kind of subjects and mm -hmm. found that the kids resonated with them. So I thought, wow, then I did what on earth do you do when somebody dies? And mm -hmm. the minute you mention death, everybody dives into a closet, hides into the bed, runs away. And I thought, no, we got to talk about this stuff. That's so good that you said that, Trevor, because the problem that I had at growing up as a child, and, and I see that now in this day and age, is that we don't tell the child the full truth of what's going on. We kind of sugarcoat it. We kind of hold it back and think that they're not capable of understanding what is going on. And people have said that, you know, there's different levels of grief, you know, shell up into a ball, to crying, to acting out, to being quiet, to drawing, to journaling, so many different levels that a child could take. But the common thing that is just so disheartening is that the child is not being told the truth, yeah. not being told yeah. straightforward of this is what happened. Your grandma, she is not feeling well. They're not giving her this much time to get in, in kids terms. The, the truth is not being told to them. So yeah. I just think that is so important. Like you said, the delivery is all important, but the truth has to be as in part of the delivery when you're talking to the child about that. Yeah. See, I think one of the things that a lot of people do, and this is human nature, we want to protect the child. Mm -hmm. We don't want the child to feel bad. We don't want, uh, because we are projecting onto that child what we think they are thinking. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is that if we do keep on protecting our children and not letting them have experience, when they get older, and they get into situations where this comes out of the blue, they are not prepared to deal with the situation because they haven't been through it. Yeah. Now, kids are really resilient. Mm -hmm. They will process stuff way quicker than we will. You know, sometimes people are surprised. Oh my goodness, that kid's parent died a year ago or six months ago, and they're not mm -hmm. curled up in a ball under a bed. Giving them permission to actually process what they're going through, giving them the facts mm -hmm. that they ask for, and being honest about it. And I also think a very important thing is when you are discussing something like that with a kid to validate what they're feeling, but also to say, you know what, man, I went through a similar experience when I was a kid, when my grand or grandfather died. I was worried if I was allowed to laugh anymore. And this is what I did by sharing a personal story. Instead of saying, yeah, I understand how you feel. We don't understand how somebody feels. We are basing it on some of the experiences we have. And if we share the experience, then the child is like, oh, wow, he or she understands what I'm going through because they yes. have been through it and they can relate. Yes. And that yeah. is so good that you said that because this is why I read this book six times, Connecting with Kids in a Disconnected World, which I hope that every listener that is tuning in to this podcast will go on your website, TrevorRomaine.com and purchase this because the stories that you share in here are so relatable. And I did not expect Trevor, this caught me off guard, but it caught me off guard in a good way. I got emotional at some of the stories that you put in mm -hmm. here. And one in particular about a 10-year-old boy that you connected with named Victor, going through with bone marrow cancer that he was ha having. Yeah. Share a little bit about that, because I know if I will start sharing it, I'm going to turn into a pool of mush here on this microphone. But share a little bit of how you met Victor and then, you know, what transpired after that and your takeaway from the connection that you had with him. Okay, so yeah, I um, was known and sometimes still am known as the doctor of mischief. One of my favorite things to do is visit 
sick kids because I'm not afraid to be in that situation with them. And that's the blessing I've been given by the CEO. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I am comfortable being with children who may be terminal. Mm -hmm. And so it was very similar with Victor. Victor was going through cancer treatment and sort of it goes back to me using little drawings to help me transition in my life at school. The same thing happened with Victor's. He just asked me one day when I was sitting there in the room with him, what's going to happen when I die? His mother jumped off the bed, ran over and said, you're not going to die. We have paid $375,000 to keep you alive. You will not die. So she was trying to show support support for him, but that wasn't what he needed at that time. Mm -hmm. And so from behind her back, he pulls a tongue at me and he rolls his eyes at his mom. Well, she left the room a few minutes later. And I said to him, you know, Victor, you ask what's going to happen when he dies. I said, you know, I believe personally that we go to heaven. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe that too. I said, so what do you mean? He goes, no. So, I mean, what happens when you get there? Do, do they give you a map? How do you know where to go? <laughs> and, and I said, well, you know, that's a really good question. I said, well, you know, I'll tell you what, though, if you die from this disease while you're a little boy, when you get to heaven, ask for my grandfather. He died a long time ago, but he's a great guy. He'll get you checked in. He'll get you a good room and he'll show you around. So he looks at me now he's getting in a panic. He says, how am I going to find him? Mm -hmm. You know, like a million people died in the war. There's a lot of people up there. I said, dude, not a million, millions and millions. He goes, how am I going to find him? I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on. I took out my little pad and I drew a picture of my grandfather and I tore it out and I said, here, Victor, this is my grandpa. His name is Ted. Memorize this picture. And when you get up there, you just ask for him. Okay. He will take care of you. And he looks at the picture and he goes, he looks like a nice man. I said, he is great. He took the picture and he put it on the little bulletin board next to him cards and get well cards. There he had that on the wall. And every time I went in, as I always do, I was teasing him and making fun of some stuff. And he kept on saying, I'm going to tell your grandpa, you're teasing me when I see him. Okay. And I'm like, no, 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 don't. He's a ghost. You know, he'll come get me. (laughs) And of course, he thought that was really funny. Well, unfortunately, he passed away a number of months later and his parents asked me to to deliver the eulogy at the church. So I went to the church and unfortunately for me, it was an open casket ceremony. Mm -hmm. Now, where I come from in South Africa, they don't have a viewing body. It's just not a tradition and it's not something that happens. So I was, I was shocked. Mm -hmm. I could not bring myself when I went to the church to look in the coffin because I wanted to remember that naughty little boy with all the energy and the way he was. So I didn't look in the coffin. Well, I go into the church and they wheel the coffin in because there was a viewing outside. They wheeled it in and they put it next to the pulpit and they left Mm -hmm. it open. And the priest got up, it was a Catholic ceremony. Priest got up and he delivered the sermon. Father Richard is his name, wonderful man. And he asked me if I would deliver the eulogy. So I get up. And I'm not looking in the coffin because I don't want to look in there. And I talked about Victor and what a great guy he was and what I learned from him and what I was added to my life that came from the end of his life. Mm -hmm. So I was sharing all of that. And then just very simply looked over at the coffin. I said, this little boy made such a difference for me. And sort of, I got up and I was walking back to my pew and I looked in the coffin as I passed and there he was. He was in a black tuxedo with a red bow tie. His head was bald from the chemotherapy, his hands on his chest. In his coffin were all his little toys from when he was a kid, his baseball mitt, his Legos, his little blankie from when he was a little boy. And in his hand, he was holding that picture of my grandfather. And I realized then how sometimes the smallest things can make the biggest difference. Yeah. And he just needed somebody to hear where he was, validate what he was feeling, be with him Mm -hmm. in those feelings. And I didn't try and brush it off out of my own discomfort. I was just lucky enough to be able to have been able to do little sketches 
And it wasn't a brilliant sketch. It was just a little mm -hmm. simple one. And that was life-changing for me because I realized that I don't always have to do great things to make a great difference. Right. Oh, you see, yeah. I, I oh, just savored every part of that story because reading it and then hearing you talk about it, it's getting me emotional because just the connectivity that you had with him and the takeaway that you had after, you know, delivering that eulogy and just seeing the little boy that the victor was and at peace that he was, you know, knowing that he was going to go to heaven, see your grandpa, you know, and connect with so many other people that have, you know, transcended before. I want to ask you because we are unfortunately in the middle of this pandemic and there has been so much loss. And I met for the first time, it was last week where there was an 11 year old girl that lost her father due to COVID. Mm. And it was just briefly, and it's amazing how you just meet people at just an odd time. And mine was, you know, grocery shopping, trying to get stuff for dinner and I'm scrambling and and hurrying up and just that moment right there where she just walked up and uh, we're here because we're having a dinner to celebrate my grandfather's or my father's life. And I go, oh, that's wonderful. And well, he's no longer here. He passed away. Oh, okay. Well, he died of COVID. And it's just like, I'm right there in the frozen food aisle. And I'm stopping with my cart and I'm like, okay. I need to turn my full attention to what she's saying, even if it's for a brief moment. You know, and her yeah, mom is tugging yeah. and it's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, that she's saying all this. And I'm like, no, no, just go ahead. You know, what did you love about your father? You know, was he a great man? You know, what are you going to miss about? What are you going to remember about him? You know, and so it made the conversation with her that brief moment and just let her speak and let her just talk about what a great man he was and how they had good times going to the state fair here in Texas. And her favorite thing was when he would read her bedtime stories and she you know, listed off a couple of books that was her favorite and everything else. And it was just that moment of time where everything stood still for me and just listening to her. What would you say to those that are going through like this 11 year old girl, the little kids that are just not understanding how to grieve, how to process and to parents, you know, giving them the right things to say if that makes sense. I mean, sometimes yeah. it may come out right, but just the overall thing is the connectivity and the truth in the matter of that happening. Because for me, when she walked away, dinner didn't matter. Rushing out of Walmart didn't matter. It was, I wanted her to be okay. Well, first of all, I want to compliment you because you did exactly the right thing. In my eyes, that's my opinion. She obviously needed to talk. And sometimes talking to a person who's relative stranger or somebody who is just an acquaintance mm -hmm. that she's not getting the pressure of then caregiving for her mother mm -hmm. so oftentimes when a family member asks a child or somebody who's going through something they don't want to upset the person who's asking them so they sort of just either will move out of the subject quickly or just give one word answers they are caregivers for the person who's grieving as well yeah so what you did was she obviously needed to share what she needed to say and by giving kids that avenue i think is really important we stress often about journaling for kids just having them write down those exact questions that you ask what is you know what do you remember the best about a person mm -hmm. what do you miss the most what will you tell them when you see him again you know, in heaven or wherever people believe that we- It was interesting, Trevor, the one again. thing about the conversation, I didn't, when she told me that he passed, I did not say, oh, I'm so sorry about that. It was immediately my mindset, Ooh, what did you like? What did you do? What did you, you know? So making the whole thing about his memory living on in her, through her, about the great times that they had, because I didn't know what in death, what their grieving process was, or if she did have time to grieve. So I turned it into- well, tell me a little bit about him and, and made it to be a lighthearted kind of grief situation, if that makes sense. 
Yes. Oh, absolutely. I think it's really great that you did that. First of all, what often happens with kids is when somebody goes into the sympathy mode, mm-hmm. it's twofold. One is that you know, you're switching from sympathy to empathy if mm-hmm. you're in that situation, mm-hmm. which goes deeper. And then there's a guilt that your life is okay. It's almost like thriver's guilt. Mm-hmm. And that child senses that you are in that position and doesn't want you to... So if you say, oh, I'm really sorry. Oh, this is terrible. Oh, I'm sorry. The child is now probably getting that discomfort mirrored. But by taking it in the direction that you did, you are helping them find the light in that darkness, the light of what they remember about the person, what they miss about the person. And what you're really doing is keeping that person alive, as opposed to smothering that with the feelings of sadness, guilt, discomfort. I think you may have to write a book. I have you illustrate. (laughs) Yeah. You know, there's one thing that I often do with regard to what you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. When I close a conversation with a child who's been, who is grieving, I'll often say to the kid, Hey, what was your dad's name again? Or what was your mom? Or what was your grandpa's name? Again. And they'll, they'll say something and I'll say, cause you know what? My dad died as well. He died a long time ago. And when I say my prayers tonight, I'm going to pass on a message to my dad to please tell your dad or your mom that you say hi and then you miss them and to send love. And it's such a lovely closing because it's a gift to the child. Oh, thank you. And tell them, I'm like, okay, I'll tell my dad to pass it on. So it's, it's in that spot, letting them know that mm-hmm. you have grieved, that you have lost somebody and connecting them and you through that feeling of how are we going to manage beyond. That is so good. It, that is a connection right there. And it does take their mind off of you know the sadness because again, I'm sure that they have been surrounded by, and the, and the young lady that I met, all different kinds of sadness and grief and everything else. And for me, it was several other people social distance in that aisle. And for her to share that story about her father and what they were doing and why they were there at Walmart and who they were picking up uh, for the dinner that they were having. I often reflect when things like that happen to me. And I did at that moment is like, okay, why did it happen? You know, there's four other people in this aisle, not including them. Why did she share her story with me? What was the purpose? She must've saw in me that, you know, it was okay and gave her permission to, you know, share what was going on and use me as an outlet and everything. So it was just like, when that happened, Trevor, I was trying to utilize that as, okay, what is my takeaway from this interaction of a total stranger that is going through this process and be just sitting there and just listening. And yeah. it, like I well, said, everything just shut off. Shopping did not matter. Dinner at that moment didn't matter. And, you know, coming home and sharing that with my husband and he goes, that was really good that you connected with her. You know, you gave your full attention to her. And it was, that was just my takeaway from that because these kids needing an outlet and especially with this pandemic and they're being at home and the new normal of them, they're not, you know, hanging out with their friends at school. They're not going to extracurricular activities. They're not going to sporting practices after school. Everything has been adjusted. No one knew this was going to go as long as it did. The, you know, we're going into nine months, almost 10 months here. Mm-hmm. And I think that what you have in these materials and these masterpieces that you have is such a guide to give permission to the kids to talk about it and also give a guide to the parents, the guardian, the educator, the teacher to listen. Yeah. Well, I think you got a gift, first of all, uh, from that child. And what that gift was, so in discussing it, 
now in sharing it. So when people are listening to you discussing it with me, that's going to um, enlighten and inspire maybe somebody out there who's listening today who may be struggling with how to connect with somebody who's grieving, not necessarily only a child, but an adult uh, or, you know, the elderly, because so often when the elderly pass away, a lot of people are like, well, first thing, the question we say is, well, how old were they? Oh, they were 80. Oh, okay. Well, at least they had a good life. Well, if that's your mom or your dad, it doesn't oh, matter what phrase. kind of life oh, they have. Oh, I hate that phrase. Oh, that was a pretty long that. life. No, it doesn't matter if they're 100. No. Mm -hmm. so I think being able to give that person the permission mm -hmm. to share what they are holding inside is what you did for their child. It was not only validating what was going on with life, but giving her permission to share by being open. And that gift that you gave to her will be able to be shared with your experience with other people. I, I had the, the, the privilege of meeting Nelson Mandela. And, you know, he said something very interesting. He said that when a person dies, their library of stories dies with them. Unless you share your stories and experiences, other people can't learn or be inspired by what you have been through in your life. Mm -hmm. So by sharing that story, you are keeping that story alive, giving that child a light that can maybe light other people who are maybe in the dark. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's what, what a lovely gift you got. Oh, thank you. I, oh, that was awesome. It's just, like I said to you, it, more than ever now, we need to be connected and not divided. We need to be there for each other. You know, whether it be social distance over Zoom, over you know, FaceTime or whatever, it's that time and it's so imperative and it's so important now more than ever where we need to be connected with one another and, and to check on with each other and to check on in, you know, everybody's mental state. How are you doing? What's going on? Let's talk about it. I haven't seen you on social media and blah, blah, blah. I haven't, you know, heard from you in this many, you know, days or weeks or, or whatever. And I have gotten since starting this podcast and talking more so about mental health, just messages after messages of people saying, I don't know, you know, if I'm going to, you know, make it to the next day, or I don't know if, you know, I can handle it with the kids being at home, or I don't know you know, what advice to say to this person who reached out to me and said this, 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 and it's just like, oh my gosh, I can't let something like this slide because Trevor was seeing a rise in mental health issues and more so with people that have a platform. We're seeing that with celebrities and musicians and famous people that are ending more, we're seeing it more with divorce rates going up. Uh, I just finished reading your book, Taking the Duh Out of Divorce, and at the end of it, you wrote it so beautifully, step-by-step step of, you know, the feelings that a child goes through and thinking that it's their fault and uh, the emotions and the lashing out and acting out. I just think it's so beautifully put on how you brilliantly wrote this. So what is the, I don't want to say inspiration because <laughs> divorce is not a good thing. And I've, I've not been a child of divorce, but it took me and put me in the shoes of children that have been. What was the, the thought process in going into re writing that book? Because again, I just think that that's such uh, importance for what is going on right now and the rates going up so high as they are. Yeah, that book was interesting. I forgot to have kids, which is very interesting. <laughs> and I believe I would not be able to work with children like I did if I had my own children, especially mm. children who, who are terminally ill mm -hmm. and, and those who, who may be in really, really tough emotional situations. Mm -hmm. But that book in particular, I and, and it's happened with two of my books. There was a friend of mine 
who was going through a divorce and his child was 12. And basically I wrote a letter to the kid and it was the skeleton basically of that book. Mm -hmm. Just the basics of like, you're going to find yourself stuck in the middle. No matter how comfortable or amicable a divorce is, there are two sides and you are going to be stuck in the middle. You know, unfortunately, people's egos get involved. A child speaks enthusiastically about the other parent who's during the divorce. Then it's almost like, oh, they must be on their side. Mm -hmm. So just to let them know that they are going to be stuck in the middle. And what are the pluses of going through a divorce? Well, it's sad, but man, you get to have two houses. You get to get two sets of everything. So just trying to put a little bit of warmth and maybe a little tongue in cheek through the hard stuff. But also, uh, most importantly, what I share with kids and I did in this letter was that you do not have to pick sides. Yeah. You don't have to. Uh, and, and that's key. Also, that's big. And don't let another parent use you as a weapon against the other parent. Mm -hmm. Because that emotional blackmail can happen sometimes. And look, the sad thing is, and this is the truth, 80% of divorces are not nice. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody says, we're going to do it for the kids. We're going to be nice to the kids. But, you know, what happens is that it just, when lawyers start getting involved and splitting finances, and then it gets ugly. I like so, how you broke that down, the terminology of, okay, this is the words you're going to be hearing. You're going to hear alimony. You're going to hear um, yeah, judge. Child support. You're child support. Hear, you know, yes. And I like how you broke that down into understandable terms for the child that is going through, you know, if their parents are going through a separation, going through a divorce. That was so key on breaking that down. So they, they know, oh, okay, this is what this means when I go. Because yeah. they hear the words, yeah. don't they? All the yes. time. So that, that basically, I started the book with that. Mm -hmm. And then that got shifted around within the, in the editing process. But yes, just keywords that you are going to hear, and this is what they mean. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes kids are in a court when there's a judgment and, and lawyers are throwing out all these words. And I want children to be informed so they can make their own opinions, mm -hmm. even though they are in a situation where they are often manipulated yeah. within a divorce. So, okay, this is... This is what you're going to hear. Mm -hmm. This is what you can do. And again, it was just honest and straightforward. And, you know, some people cringe at that. They're like, oh, my goodness. I want the kid to know that everything's okay. Mm -hmm. Kids are not stupid. Mm -hmm. They can tell in one second if somebody is pulling the wool over their eyes. Oh, everything's fine. You know, then you hear screaming and fighting in a room. But everything's fine. You're so right. that means how can the child trust what you are saying? If you are not, you know, letting them know the truth. That's and like taking the a truth is horrible. It is. It's, it's like taking a cup of water to a building that you see that's on fire and thinking that cup of water is going to put out the complete fire. Yeah. Or having a cup of water and walking away from the building and saying, you know what? I'm going to have a sip. That building's not on fire. Everything's fine. It's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I just... It's so imperative. It's so important to be straight up honest with the kid that's involved in that kind of process. I love the, I love, I'm the type of person that I love giving back and I love nonprofit organizations. And I like that you have a nonprofit. And so the listeners, uh, please fill them in on your nonprofit that you have, the Comfort Crew for Military Kids and what it's all about. Okay. Yeah. The, the Comfort Crew for Military Kids was started about 13 years ago. I was touring with the USO 
which is an organization that travels the military bases, our US military bases around the world, and does entertainment for the troops. I one day asked somebody in that organization, who does anything for the military kids? And they said, well, nobody really. And I said, well, hey, can I go? So I went on a, on a few tours and then realized uh, that there are millions of kids whose parents in this country are in the US, mm -hmm. uh, in, in, the, in the forces. Now, mm -hmm. I just wanted to say that I'm an American by choice. So I chose to be an American citizen. Mm -hmm. And to give back to this wonderful country, I decided that I wanted to help those kids that I had started seeing. So we formed the Comfort Crew to help kids whose parents are being deployed because, my goodness me, they go for a year. And now, because we are still at war mm -hmm. since 9-11, mm -hmm. some of those kids, their dad or mom is on their ninth or 10th deployment some of those kids have only seen their parents half their That's life. That's incredible. Wow. And we forget that because we're mm -hmm. not seeing on the news troops coming home and, and kids running up and jumping mm -hmm. into the arms very much anymore. But they are. Our Navy goes out every six months. So not only are kids being or struggling with, with deployment, but when a service member returns, they've been gone for nine months in stressful situations and it takes them a while to adapt. So we created the materials to help them deal with the deployment, deal with adapting when the parent comes back. There's a lot of people obviously with PTSD. Mm -hmm. So helping children understand what their parent is going through. So the kid doesn't think it's their fault that their dad or mom is angry or frustrated or depressed. So we created these kits to help the kids. We have a deployment kit. We have a reintegration kit, a kit for wounded heroes. And we also have a grief kit. And I'm very, very, very proud that our grief kit, which does have the what on earth do you do when somebody dies book in it, and a little mouse, I, I love to draw mice, mm -hmm. in it. And at the dignified transfers at Dover Air Force Base is mm -hmm. where, unfortunately, our fallen heroes come back. And that's where they're reunited with their families. Our kits are given out free to every child that's in a family who's lost a service member. So we provide those kits to any service member or family who, when there's a loss. So we have these waiting lists where uh, we are, you know. And anybody that wants funds to, to help that. I think that's fantastic what you're doing uh, as far as that. And, and if anybody that's listening wants to continue to support that as well as connect with you, What's your information that they can definitely help out and continue the great service that you're doing? Thank you so much. I appreciate you talking about that. Thecomfortcrew.org. That's what it is. Comfortcrew.org. And you can Google it easily. And then if you can't remember that, then trevorromaine.com. I always remind people that Trevor Romaine, there's no E like in lettuce. I was called lettuce head my whole life because I was Trevor Romaine, but it's a lettuce head without an E. So oh, let us say, So anybody, if, if anybody <laughs> wants to ask any questions, please yeah. don't hesitate to email us. There's a, a section on the website where you can email me, mm -hmm. email our crew that helps us help kids and mm -hmm. be to answer any questions and uh, help anybody who would like to help a child. I absolutely love that. And I know you recently just celebrated the birthday. So happy 25 years again. <laughs> Yeah. I, I do anniversaries. I don't do how old are you? I'm like, oh, it's a 20th anniversary of blah, blah, blah. You don't need to add. Yeah. You don't need to multiply. Don't, yeah. Just don't worry about it. Just go with what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm retrogressing though. I am actually going backwards now in age, mm -hmm. getting more immature and more silly. And um, <laughs> hopefully, you know, by the time 
that I go, they'll say, get this guy out of here. He's driving <laughs> us crazy. What is, before, before we end today, Trevor, I, I asked this on previous shows that I've done with guests, and yours is going to be a little bit different because we're coming to the end of the year. We're getting ready to go into 2021. What is your hope? Two-part question. How would you like to finish out 2020? And what is your hope for 2021? Okay, that's a lovely question. Uh, there are four foundations that I've balanced my life on. And what I'm going to try and do to see out the end of this year is to follow those four. And then in the new year, when you were talking about being in the supermarket the other day, do you know that even though we have masks, we can smile. But if you have a mask on, a fake smile doesn't work. Only a genuine one does because you can see somebody's eyes when it's a fake smile and it's just the, you know, just the moving of the mouth. Um, and I think we need to smile at each other with our eyes a lot because the person who's trudging behind you is going through very similar stuff to what you are and mm -hmm. probably oftentimes worse. So I'm going to smile with my eyes a lot more with my mask on uh, when necessary in, in the new year. But there are four things that I base the foundation of my life on. And, and this is how I want to continue into the new year. Number one is to, to realize that little by little, a little becomes a lot. So we don't have to give everything all of the time, but giving a little by little um, builds up. You can't get money all at one time. You can't get fit all at one time. If you do little by little, it becomes a lot. So instead of biting off more than we can chew, just really methodically taking step by step. And that's one of the things. The other thing is that nothing can grow in your comfort zone. We will sit in a bubble unless we, if we want to make a difference in this world, we may have to step into a place that's uncomfortable emotionally for us. Uh, that's a step I took doing the books was, you know, nothing can grow in your comfort zone. The other one is that uh, failure is not permanent. The way we learn mm -hmm. is by failing. Yeah. And if we tried something and it didn't work, we've just got to maybe try it in a different way. Those are, those, those are the three. And then one of the ones that, that I love and enjoy using a lot is as one of the things that Nelson Mandela had said is that people are people through other people. In other words, mm. if we reach out to other people, connect with other people, that makes us a better person because by joining and connecting, we, and especially connecting with people uh, from a different culture, mm -hmm. uh, different backgrounds, uh, that's, that's going to make us very rich inside. And it's something so, that is priceless. Yeah. That yeah, money absolutely. can't buy. Yeah, it, it certainly can't. And, and, to, and to remember, I think, especially in these dark times, mm -hmm. that even all the darkness in the universe cannot put out the light of even the smallest candle. So holding that light going forward with a positive attitude is going to be able to keep that light burning because the darkness cannot put it out if we keep that mm -hmm. little light illuminated. That is perfect. That's perfect. Mm -hmm. I could talk to you forever. <laughs> And vice versa. <laughs> that, that was just perfect how you had said that. And I hope I have that. I have that same hope for 2021. I actually have that same hope now that we don't have to wait to the new year, that people can get out of the habit of, oh, next year is going to be better. And I can't wait till next year. Make your next year now. Now. Yeah, we don't. And, and it's like getting fit. It's, uh, somebody told yeah. me the other day, well, I'm going to join a gym in uh, on the first of no, don't procrastinate today, put it off until tomorrow. Mm -hmm. 
You know, it's like, we, yeah. yeah, we don't have to wait till New Year's Day to be nice. You know, like 9-11, the taxi drivers in New York were awesome. They were great for about three days. Why do we have to wait for a disaster to be amazing? So you're right, we could talk forever and I'm just going to shut up now. No, you are great. You're absolutely great. Please share with everybody how they can stay connected with you and all your social media platforms. Trevoromain.com is the way to go. I have a dude called Alex, who you know, yes. who runs the whole social media, thank goodness, because oh my goodness with my little pinball brain uh, <laughs> i would not be able to keep it all straight but he alex he does, he shout out to you job. you are absolutely yeah. amazing alex uh, bryant big al bryant bigger, <laughs> bigger than life yes um yeah trevorromain.com is the way and, and please especially if anybody is in the military or has a situation where they're going through employment and their kids involved please uh, you know contact comfortcrew.org we'll be happy to help you with our resources that is wonderful. TrevorRomaine.com. It is no E at the end of Romaine. I am so honored to have him and his company sponsor this podcast. You all heard him share so much in-depth truth and see why that I am so honored to have him on today's podcast. It's more honored that I now call and consider him a friend. Absolutely. I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. And I thank you with everything from the inside of my heart, not the bottom of my heart, but the inside of my heart of just so much that you have, have shared. And hopefully every listener is feeling absolutely joyful and full and hopeful and optimistic and uh, that they will check out your website for these awesome masterpieces. And of course, my all-time favorite, and I'm probably going to read it for a seventh time, Connecting with Kids in a Disconnected World. Who knows, by the end of this year, I may hit double digits reading this book because it's that good. <laughs> well, well, thank you so much, Marissa. I just wanted to say that um, I really appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate the work you're doing, the positive work you're doing, not only in your community, but in the global community, because you have got such a lovely insight and your spirit is shining. And I so appreciate also being able to call you my friend and for us to work together to make the world a better place and to bring a lot of people, put our arms around them and have them walk with us as we go into yes. the future. And not forgetting the past, because that's how we learn, but looking forward instead of being held back. Yes, and I cannot wait for you to go on the road again because I'm looking forward to you autographing this book. <laughs> you got it. Yes. My autograph is worth about 49 cents on eBay. So that book is going to be your it's autograph be worth book is just going to be worthless to me. So it, it, there's no value on it whatsoever. So thank you so much again, Trevor, for coming on. Thank you for listening today, all those that tuned in. And as I always end the show, take care, stay safe. Follow Heard That with Marisa Tigney on social media on Facebook, Heard That Marisa 5 on Instagram, and at Lovely Marisa T on Twitter. Thank you for your continued support. Music.